Well, there's a Greek word that describes our music all day today. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> it has been amazing. I told my wife when I've called her, I've called her three or four times already this afternoon. <clears throat> I heard one of the most incredible baritone singers this morning I've ever heard in my life. I mean that. <clears throat> And tonight, Debbie, thank you, thank you, thank you for blessing us. Bill Gaither needs to know about you. Uh, my, we need to see you on television. I, uh, how we've been blessed, and David with the uh, music, Thomas, the choir, and choir. Oh, that song tonight. Oh, I like to turn Pentecostal right in the middle of that whole thing. Lord, we don't need a fire. I'm telling you, that was absolutely glorious. It reminded me of a, a Christmas day years ago at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Lexington, <coughs> excuse me, Alabama. True story. I'm not preaching now. I'm telling the truth. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have a whole lot of folks at church that day. Lou, because it was Christmas Day and you don't want to interrupt people's Christmas on Jesus' birthday too much. <clears throat> and we went across the street to our little parsonage and sweet Lydia was preparing lunch. And our family was coming in. It was a big deal at the house as Christmas always is. And Jamie, our, our oldest son, our middle child, came in from outside playing. It was a mild weather day. Probably in the 60s outside, upper 50s, I guess. <clears throat> and Jamie said something I've never forgotten. He said, Daddy, is smoke supposed to be coming out of the church? <laughs> and I thought, my first thought was, no, there's no deacons meeting today. <laughs> I'm sorry. We found out the electrical box was on fire in the educational building. And the volunteer fire department got there right away and put it out without too much damage. And, and we were able to fix it up. But I, but I thought something was very interesting. <clears throat> Within 10 minutes of the alarm going off, three times more people showed up to watch it burn than had come to worship that morning. <clears throat> There are all kinds of fire, and one of those we're going to talk about tonight for a little while is the fire of revival. When the fire of God falls, in fact, Elijah would say, if you want to see a picture of revival, let me tell you about one day on Mount Carmel when Elijah prayed and God sent down fire and consumed the, the trench full of water and the sacrifice and all the prophets of Baal were slain. If you want to talk about the fire of God, you ask Simon Peter, tell us about that day on Pentecost when you were there and and you were praying in that upper room, and the Holy Spirit of God fell in cloven tongues as a fire upon people, and 3,000 precious souls were saved. Folks, I want to tell you, old-time heaven-sent revival, when it's rightly understood, <clears throat> it's not a series of meetings, and you understand that. It's not a guest speaker or even special music. It is when Jesus shows up in power and authority and might and majesty, when only he gets the honor and only he gets the glory and only he gets the credit. It is, it is one of those things that only God, I mean, only God can do and only God ought to get the glory for. 
And I want to talk to you about that just for a little bit tonight. And I want to talk to you about it from a perspective that may seem a little bit strange. I want to talk to you about the perspective of revival. Uh, whether it's the blowing of the wind through the mulberry bushes as in the Old Testament, whether it was Ezekiel's vision of a valley of dry bones that rose up and became a mighty army, whatever passage in the Scripture we use to describe portraits of revival, one of them is found in John chapter 2. And I'd like to invite you to look there with me. We've been so blessed already tonight. Uh, we could go home now and say we've had church, couldn't we? <laughs> I hope we're not going to. Um, in fact, I hope you'll stay just a few moments and let me, let me share with you my heart. And I'd like for you to think with me and use your imagination for a moment. Mary, the mother of Jesus, can you tell us one of your first times that it really dawned on you who Jesus was? And I believe with all of my heart, Mary might go to this passage, even though we don't have a lot about Mary, we have her story at the birth, the announcement of her pregnancy, the the birth of our Lord. We have a picture of them in Jerusalem uh, where they left Jesus accidentally for three days. We have her at the cross. Other than that, there aren't many occasions you see the mother of Mary. But we do see her in John chapter 2. And Mary... Would you tell us when it really began to occur to you, one of the times in Jesus' life when it dawned on you that God's hand was upon this young man, and he indeed was God's son. I believe with all of my heart, she'd say, oh, I can tell you. It was at a little village about nine miles north of Nazareth when I, Mary would have said probably, had joined some of my family and friends for a wedding, and Mary seems to have been in charge of a wedding. Weddings are big deals, Thomas. Wedding are big deals. Weddings are big deals. Now, for the husband, he just wants to get it over. But for the bride, she wants all the frills and all the and she should have everything. In fact, let me give you a good word of advice from an old man. Whatever she wants, do it. You'll be blessed. You'll get off to a great start. <clears throat> And Mary said, at this wedding, we had all of our family and all of our friends, and it was a big deal. We invited Jesus, and he and the disciples, you wouldn't believe even Jesus with his busy schedule came. And Mary probably would say, you know, it dawned on me that day something of who Jesus really was, because that day Jesus performed the first miracle I'd ever seen him perform. It's the first recorded miracle in the Scripture. Where Jesus turned the water into wine. (laughs) And the master of the feast, as we'll read in a moment, when he tasted the water, said, I've never seen anything like this before. This is the best I've ever experienced. And I want to tell you, Mary would say, let me tell you about the day I sensed revival in my own heart. And I began to sense what it means for, for God to do a special work. When Jesus showed up at that wedding Everything changed. And I want to talk to you for just a moment about that very thing because we're praying for spiritual renewal. We're praying for revival. And it begins with the people of God. It begins with the family of faith. May I tell you, when God gets a hold of us, uh, evangelism will uh, take a turn. Discipleship uh, will take its place. 
uh, giving won't be a problem. Uh, we'll find that uh, there aren't any needs in the life of the church that an old-fashioned heaven-sent revival can't fix and that right early. I want you to follow along with me, if you will, please, in John chapter 2. And uh, I want to share with you this story and then just a few brief thoughts tonight about when Jesus shows up. By the way, this morning I preached on the parable of the Great Supper, Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. And tonight, the first recorded miracle of our Lord. By the way, I love to preach on the miracles. I do because they really speak of three worlds, the world that was. Now, I know there are some commentators, some neo-Orthodox theologians, who would tell us that there are ways to explain away the miracles. But I want to tell you, I believe Jesus turned the water into wine. Jesus made the blind man to see and raised the dead and made the lame to walk. And every miracle was a picture of the fact that there's no problem, no crisis, no emergency, nothing impossible with our God. Amen? Secondly, miracles are a picture of what Jesus wants to do today. He wants to do what your psychiatrist can't do, what your medical doctor can't do, what Dr. Phil can't do, what Winfrey... Yeah, Oprah. I I, I don't watch her, so I forget. Uh, uh, Oprah Winfrey can't do. Uh, He wants to do what only the Lord can do. And so revivals speak of yesterday. They speak of today and they speak of tomorrow. That one of these days we're going to live in a land where there won't be any more sickness. There won't be any more death. There won't be any more sorrow. There won't be any more uh, hunger. There won't be any more famine. There won't be any more death. Because, you see, we're going to live in a perfect world if we know and love the Lord Jesus. I love to preach on the miracles because... You see, in many ways, all of us are miracles. All of us are. Uh, look at you, and I don't know all of your stories, uh, but I want to tell you, all of us, if we're saved, are a trophy of God's grace. And uh, may I tell you just a little bit about me? I, uh, sometimes you will know about your preacher. Uh, I, I'm a miracle myself. I am. I haven't told John this. He doesn't know this. Uh, I am a recovering anorexic. Doing pretty well, don't you think? <laughs> Some of you get home tonight and say, what did he say? What was that? <laughs> oh, me, just the look in your eyes is priceless. But the story is an incredible story. Let's share it together briefly. In the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. Marriages have always been big deals. They've always been wonderful occurrences and great social events, and they form the fabric of society. And the mother of Jesus was there. That's just kind of a by the way. Mary was there. Uh, It doesn't really tell her express role, but we're led to believe she probably was in charge of the reception. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, that is when they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. And I can promise you, though we do not know the intonation, the inflection of her voice, this is not a simple statement. She didn't simply say, Jesus, we've run out of wine. Oh, no. This was a crisis moment. This was an emergency 
You see, in the Eastern culture, as was the table we talked about this morning, to have company and friends and family over for a wedding and to run out of refreshment would have been the highest embarrassment imaginable to Mary, especially if she had been in charge of the reception. And I think in desperation and in panic and, and desperation, she was wanting to say, Son, we've got a problem. We've run out of refreshment. And Jesus said something that might seemingly sound a little bit uh, uh, insensitive, but it was not. He said unto her, woman, that was a term of endearment. It's the same word Jesus used when he addressed his mother from the cross. Woman, what if I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Uh, Jackie K. paraphrase might be, mama, what is it that you really want me to do? You understand I didn't come just to turn water into wine. I came to turn sinners into saints. I came to wash away the sins of men. And Jesus was always trying to focus his followers on the fact that he had come to die, the just for the unjust. And I love what his mother said in verse 5. I've got it underlined in my Bible. You may want to note it. Whatsoever he saith, or excuse me, the, his mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, if you really want to know the key to old-time revival, spiritual renewal, and God showing up, underline, whatever he, Jesus, says to you, do it. I want to challenge you tonight, whether you are a charter member of this church, <clears throat> if there are any that are still around when this church started, don't know how old this church is, or if you are one of the key members, <clears throat> you hold office or you attend regularly, uh, the truth is, starting with every one of us, the most faithful, the most godly, the most uh, intimate with the Lord, every single one of us needs to hear the words of Mary. Whatever he, Jesus, not the evangelist, whatever he, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, speaks to your heart about doing, do it, do it, do it. And I love John's commentary. There were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece or 25 or 30 gallons of water apiece. Just know these were used for the ceremonial washing of the hands and feet between the courses of the meal. Guests would come in off of the dusty trail, the dusty road, between the uh, celebrating of the wedding and the feast, there would be the washing of the hands. And so a lot of guests required uh, a lot of water. And Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up under the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. They're always doing exactly what Jesus asked them. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and we don't know at what point he turned the water into wine, whether it was before they served it, after it served it, we don't know, it's irrelevant. But Jesus turned the water into wine, and the, serv the master didn't know where it had come from, but the servants, which drew the water, knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, the master of ceremony, called the bridegroom and said unto him, Normally, usually, customarily, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou has kept the good wine until now. Normally, when we have a celebration, people give their very best first, and then later on, when uh, 
maybe they don't really care quite as much about the quality of the refreshment. Give the best, or give the, the best later. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. You saved the very best for now. And I love John's commentary with which he closes this, this testimony. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. It was the beginning of miracles. He manifested forth his glory and God did a work in those who loved and followed and served him the most. So in just a few moments, I want to share with you three things that always take place when Jesus shows up. Three things that will happen here in your wonderful church, in my life, in your life, when we allow the sweet Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus to take control of our lives, to be in charge and to be Lord and be the centerpiece, these three things will always happen. Now, just before I share these three things with you, I realize some of you are thinking, what in the world can a message about turning water into wine have to do with old-time Revival. <clears throat> well, I don't want us to miss the great truths here. I don't want us to be like that first grade Christian elementary school teacher who's trying to teach her students the evils of alcohol. And so she was going to use a demonstration, an object lesson. And so she had a, a clear container, a glass, if you will, two of them on her desk. One had water in it. One had alcohol in it. And she had a couple of earthworms. She said, class, I want you to watch carefully. And she dropped a little earthworm into the glass containing water. And that little earthworm just swam round and round. (laughs) Then she dropped the other earthworm into the container containing alcohol. And it shriveled up and died just like that. The teacher was so proud of her ability to demonstrate truth. She said, now class... Who can tell me what this object lesson teaches about alcohol? One energetic little first grader raised his hand and said, I know, I know, I know. It teaches that if you drink enough, you'll never have worms. (laughs) Well, I don't want you to miss the great truths that are in this passage. And I want to share them with you briefly tonight. Simply, when Jesus shows up, number one, we need to understand. This is what he did then. This is what he'll do today. He always, always has, always will. When Jesus shows up, he addresses our problems. Have you ever noticed that there was never a miracle that was outside of the context of a crisis? Somebody has 5,000 people, plus women and, plus, uh, women and children, 5,000 men. We've got a little boy with a basket of uh, a few loaves and a few fishes. There's a crisis. We've got a man that's been dead three days. He needs to be raised. There's a crisis. We've got a, a teenage boy that is, that is dead and needs to be raised. And a little girl has just died, and she needs life. And here's a blind man on the side of a road who needs sight. And, and here's a thirsty woman who needs forgiveness Every miracle, every miracle was birthed in the context of a crisis and a problem. But you say, Brother Jackie, 
What's the relationship between us having a problem or problems? And by the way, if everything's not just exactly right in your life, you've come to the right place. You've come to the problem solver. Oh, not the pastor, not the evangelist, not the singer, but sweet Jesus. You see, there's no home it can't heal. There's no heart it can't change. There's no sin it can't forgive and wash away. There's no life it can't turn around. He is the great problem solver. Jesus, when he shows up, addresses our problems. He said, but Jackie, what does that mean for me? Well, it means, first of all, he only addresses our problems when we confess that we've got them. I want you to notice something. Jesus was present at and a guest at the wedding when they ran out of wine. He was there all along. The difference in the miracle was Jesus was approached and said, Son, we've gone as far as we can go. We need somebody who can do what we can't do. Jesus, would you take over? Would you show up? Would you be in charge? You see, until we confess that we need him, he didn't have the opportunity to perform a miracle in our lives. But the very moment we come in confession, we've run out of wine, we've, we've run out of a, a love for lost souls, we've run out of a, a fervency for the work of the kingdom of God. Our hearts have grown cold and we've become, uh, we've become accustomed to this thing called salvation. We've gotten over the wonder of it all. We've got a problem. Good news, if we will confess our sins, confess our needs, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you see, tonight, I think about the church at Laodicea. It was that church in Revelation to whom Jesus wrote that was a great banking center. And it was a great mercantile center, made beautiful cloth that was manufactured and sent throughout uh, the region of the world. And Jesus said in the Revelation, because thou sayest, thou art rich. It was a banking center, had old money in Laodicea. And increase with goods, a manufacturing center. And have need of nothing. That's what you've been saying. We don't need anything. Don't you know, said Jesus, thou art poor and miserable and naked and wretched and blind. They also produced ISAV. And so a place that produced ISAV, a mercantile center and a banking center, was bankrupt morally, was naked spiritually, and was blind spiritually. And until we confess, Lord, things aren't right and you know they're not, they're not right, when, when we stop comparing ourselves with the neighbors across the street and compare ourselves to heaven's standard for the child of God, Jesus doesn't show up to perform a miracle of train changing things until we confess we've got a problem. Maybe that problem in some of our lives may be complacency. We're just not stirred up much anymore. We're just kind of uh, easy come, easy go. We, uh, we've gotten very comfortable. I, I've got a real spiritual piece of furniture in my house. I imagine you got one too. Can you guess what it is? Yeah, it's a big old easy boy recliner. I tell you, I can, I can get close to Jesus in that thing. I love my recliner. 
But sometimes we are finding ourselves like the prophet of old that said, woe unto those who are at ease inside. We can get really comfortable with our class and comfortable with our church and our circle of friends and forget if there's a whole city of Oxford, Alabama who's lost and many of them are on the road to an eternity without God. And God's put this church and others here as lifelines, as lights to rescue the perishing and care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Complacency sometimes, if maybe you've not... You've not done anything outwardly as far as sin that you can put your thumb on or your finger on. Maybe you're living morally and your your life is as clean as you know how, how it ought to be. But how long has it been since you've poured out your soul in an old-fashioned altar and begged God for an old-time revival? We had a cottage prayer meeting at uh, my home church. This is 19, I don't know, 69. I didn't tell you this this morning. I came from a family where my mother and father were married each other four times. Married each other four times. And they lived apart most of the time and couldn't get along. We had a cottage prayer meeting. We had an old-time revival. And we were in the home of Bill and Lucy Spratt. And I remember it because they had that old yellow-green shag carpet. Y'all remember that? If you still got it, I'm sure it's beautiful. But I remember in that old-fashioned cottage prayer meeting, Pastor, I got on my face as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old young man, and I wept until that carpet was drenched with my tears, and I begged God to do a workout in my heart with my mother and daddy, and I begged God to get them back together. It was going to take a miracle because, you see, it was bad. It was ugly. I'd seen fights and, and names called, and it was ugly. Revival time came. And one night, one night, my mother came and sat up here close to the front. Libby and I were sitting about two-thirds of the way back on that side, near the wall. And Daddy slipped in and sat on the back. <laughs> I don't know what the preacher preached on. That night during the invitation, I got down on my knees between the pews and I said, Oh God, I don't know if I'll ever get them in church again together. God, would you please, please, please do a work that only you can do. And I was weeping. And my wife tapped me on the shoulder. She said, Look at this. <laughs> and Mama was in the altar. And Daddy was coming down the aisle. And I saw him kneel by her side and put his arm around her. And I'd never seen that before. And I saw him pray with her. And they both stood up and in tears confessed that they were sorry for you know, how they treated each other. And sorry for their witness. And sorry for what they'd done. And committed to, to, to love each other. And I want to tell you folks. <laughs> only Jesus can do that. Maybe you've got a home that needs a miracle. Maybe you've got a friend that needs a miracle. When you bring your hurts and bring your problems to the Lord, one of them may be complacency. Lord, fire us up because we need you more than we need our very next breath of air. Maybe our problem is carnality, and I wish I had time to preach on that, but I don't tonight. It just means that we look more like the world than we do like a world of believers. The flesh is manifest in our lives, in our lips, in our language, in our entertainment, in our culture, our lifestyle. Sometimes we need to confess that corruption, just sin, 
is rampant. Listen, folks, there's God, if my people are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their what? Wicked ways. I was preaching just a few weeks ago. Six weeks out of eight, I preached at a church that still had their pastor. But the pastor had found out three months earlier that a lady in the church was having an affair with one of his faithful deacons. And the reason it broke the church's heart so terribly was it was the pastor's wife. And I had never walked into a church that was so broken and a church that was so grieving and a church that was so hurting. But during those days, can I tell you what I began to see? Three things. I saw on two Sundays... I saw a man come forward and confess to the church he had committed adultery and asked the church to forgive him, ask his wife to forgive him, and ask God to forgive him. On another Sunday, I saw the preacher's wife come down the aisle and confess her sin and ask the church to forgive her. Do you ever hear of that anymore? Do you ever see that anymore? And I saw open confession and brokenness and repentance, and then I saw something else. The church pews emptied. And the altar was covered. And they put their arms around that one Sunday the man. The next Sunday the woman. And they prayed over them and said, We forgive you and we love you and help you. We'll be here to help get you through this. Folks, listen. That's what happens when Jesus shows up. There's no mountain. There's no crisis bigger than our great God. He's a miracle working God. Jesus shows up. He addresses our problems and we confess our problems. When we confirm his place, Mary said, whatever he wants you to do, do it. He's in charge. And When we conform to his plan, whatever he says, do you do it? I just want to ask you this morning, is Jesus in charge of your life? When Jesus shows up, he addresses our problems. But number two, and I just mentioned this one, I, I found out a long time ago that that it's not good to preach long, long sermons. I thought I'd get an amen from somebody. <laughs> I heard about a man who was awful long-winded, awful, 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 terrible, horrible. He was hour and a half into a sermon that wasn't near done yet. Well, it was done, but he wasn't done. They were done listening, but he wasn't done. And right in the middle of his sermon, a man gets up and starts walking out of the church. It bothered the preacher so bad he stopped his sermon and said, Sir, if you don't mind me asking, where are you going? The man turned around and said, I don't mind you asking, preacher, I'm going to get a haircut. <laughs> preacher said, I want to ask you, why didn't you get a haircut before you came? He said, I didn't need one before I came. <laughs> So I want you to listen real fast. When Jesus shows up, he addresses our problems. The best thing you can do is be honest with God and cry out to God. Aren't you glad Bartimaeus on that roadside when the disciples, he was crying, Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd said, Bartimaeus, hush. He hasn't got time for you. He's always got time for people who call upon him. 
He kept calling out, Bartimaeus said, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Draw nine to God and he'll draw nine to you. And Jesus shows up, he addresses our problems. And Jesus shows up, he affirms our purpose. Now what is that? He affirms our purpose. Do you notice, did you notice what he used to perform the miracles, what Jesus used? Water in old clay what? Bottles or vessels, either one. The Bible says, boy, this is good stuff. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm preaching, you may be thinking, why, why do you have that silly little chuckle when you preach? <clears throat> I know what I'm about to say, and it's pretty good, so I want you to stay with me. Paul said to young Timothy, we have this treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels. Do you know what you and I are? We're old clay water pots. <laughs> Some of us look more like water pots than others, but we're all water pots. <laughs> and there wasn't a miracle until the water pots were brought to Jesus. Now, let me tell you about those water pots. First of all, they had to be clean because they were used for the washing of the hands and feet. It would have been in, uh, impossible for the water, for the, water of the vessels to have been dirty. They would have been clean. And may I tell you, if we want Jesus to show up, we need to be as clean as we know how to be by the grace of God. We need to get uh, stop hiding stuff, stop pretending things aren't going on. In fact, uh, we just need to simply say, God, if there's, we need to pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God. And know my heart. See if there's anything wrong in my life. The vessels not only were clean, but they were yielded. Bring the vessels. Let Jesus be in charge. And they were surrendered to him. I think of Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That word present. And uh, I, 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 your pastor is a Greek scholar. Uh, that term, as you know, is a priestly term which speaks of the presentation of a sacrifice. It's in the arrowest tense, which means something punctiliar in time. A decisive moment, a decisive action that makes a difference. And so these vessels were clean, and they were brought to Jesus, yielded to Jesus, and they were filled up. Play they. It's the word in Ephesians 5.18, but be you being filled with the Holy Spirit. It means being possessed by. So here's the picture. Jesus will use any vessel that's brought to him, yielded to his lordship, cleaned up by his blood, filled with his spirit. I'm amazed. Do y'all remember David Ring? Do y'all remember the evangelist David Ring? Is he still around? I don't know. I've heard. Was it cerebral palsy that he had? And he could barely speak. But Jerry Falwell had him on the old-time gospel hour, and the whole country got to know who David Ring was. And God used a young man with cerebral palsy to reach countless thousands for Christ because he gave his vessel to Jesus. When God called me to preach, well, let me back up and just simply say, when I was in high school, I was mortified to get up in front of people. Mortified. I had a high school speech class, and the day my first speech was due, I dropped the class. I did. Seriously. I, 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 I couldn't, I, and I stuttered. 
Still do sometimes. And then God. Call me to preach. Call me to preach. And I thought, sweet Jesus, what are you doing? And ever since, all who have heard me have thought, sweet Jesus, what were you doing? I just want to be a vessel used of Jesus. When Jesus shows up, he addresses our problem. He affirms our, our purpose. You see, God made you for his glory. And you may not teach, you may not preach, you may not sing. But God, you've, given, you've got spiritual gifts that God wants to use and God wants to use you. And nobody can do what God's called you to do and given you the privilege and the opportunity to do. When Jesus shows up, he addresses our problems. When Jesus shows up, he affirms our purpose. And lastly, when Jesus shows up, he alters our perspective. The master said, usually people give the best first and the worst last, but oh no, you save the best for now. He alters our perspective. Bartimaeus, tell us what happened when Jesus showed up. I once was blind, but now I see. The nameless lady at the well Tell us what happened when Jesus showed up. I was thirsty. I was so guilty. My life was empty. And Jesus gave me living water. And theologians tell us that there was a a revival in Samaria. And it most likely started in the household of this woman who found living water at the well with Jesus. Zacchaeus, what did you find out when Jesus showed up? In Jericho and called me to come on down out of that tree and he called me to go home with him. I found out he loved me just like I was and changed me from what I was and he showed up. Mary and Martha, tell us what happened when Jesus showed up. Well, our brother Lazarus had been dead three days. He was hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. And Jesus said, Lazarus. Come forth. I like what the great black preacher S.M. Lockridge said years ago. If Jesus hadn't called Lazarus by name, he would have emptied every grave in Jerusalem that day. And Lazarus came forth. Lazarus would say, I'm going to tell you folks, ain't nothing like when Jesus shows up. (laughs) When Jesus shows up, he addresses our problems. He affirms our purpose. He wants to use our vessels. He alters our perspective and he saves the best for now. And I won't sing it. I, Debbie, I can't sing. Times I can't sing. But every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day I love him, I love him. It's more and more. Lord, it was a great day when you turned that water into wine. When you found a little boy in Lacey Springs, Alabama from a broken home who had a stuttering problem. And you saved him. And you called him to preach. And you let him share with people like you sweet folks tonight. I simply say, Lord, thank you. You saved the best for now. I went home that night. I was saved. Ran down the hall. My mother hadn't gone to church that night. Threw my arms around her neck and said, Mama, tonight I was saved, saved, saved. I didn't know 
eschatology or soteriology or pneumatology or bibliology. I didn't know any of that stuff, but I still don't. But I've never gotten over that night I got saved. And I go home tonight and call my wife sweetly and say, Honey, I'm telling you, Jesus, you should have heard that singing today. Jesus is saving his best for now. Listen. I preached in churches where there were 3,000 people, 300 voice choirs. Weren't it better than what we've had today? I mean, I, I, just, I just, if somebody hit me, I'd have had a spell. A spell. And one of these days when the trumpet of God sounds, <laughs> and God cancels gravity for the believer, we go sailing through the air. I'm going to pass some of you skinny folks and say, see there, it didn't matter how many fat grams you had down here. <laughs> and I'm going to say as I pass you in there, see there, Jesus saves his best for now. <laughs> and we've been walking on streets of gold 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise. And when we first begun, I look over at you and I say, John, see there? I told you. He saves his best for now. And all he may be waiting on from you is for you to come and present your vessel to him. Give him your problems. And let him do in you and through you what you can't do for yourself. Would you bow with me, please? Dear God, thank you for being a miracle-working God and that Jesus himself was a miracle greater than all of his miracles. And every time you call a backslidden believer back to the cross, it's a miracle. And every time you save a precious soul that's bound for hell, it's a miracle. And every time you heal a broken home, it's a miracle. And every time you deliver an addict, it's a miracle. Every time you bring revival to a church, it's a miracle. Lord, would you do it again? May we lay our vessels at the feet of Jesus, saying, Lord, clean us up, fill us up, use us up. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with us, please? Our pastor is standing here at the front. I don't know what God may be saying to your heart, but I just believe it's a good time to call the church to a time of renewal and commitment in this old-fashioned altar. I grew up in a church where people were encouraged to come to the altar and lay their lives anew afresh on the altar and give their vessel afresh to Jesus. Whatever that may mean, whatever problem you may have, lay it at the feet of Jesus. You come as we sing. The Savior is waiting.